Good morning. Um, last week we finished up James chapter 3, and this week we are going to be covering um, just the first six verses of chapter 4. Now again, I will be reading out of the New King James, if you want to follow along. But before we get started, has anyone else noticed recently how syncopated um, this class and Noah's class, even the children's classes, um, the biblical reading that we do before service and Josh's sermons have all been? I kind of think it's hilarious in a sense um, that every week seems like James comes up somewhere, trials comes up somewhere, and everybody seems to be touching on the same thing. So clearly God wants us to pay attention to James, um, to understand trials, and to entirely trust in his sovereignty. Um, Last week we talked a bit about uh, godly wisdom. We also talked about discernment. So before we get into chapter 4, allow me to expound on that just for a moment because... James has actually been telling us that the very thing um, that, you know, that very thing about discernment this entire time, you know, let's keep in mind again, who is he writing to? He's writing to the brethren, those who claim to be born again. And why is he writing to them? You know, it's because their lives are not a reflection of that of Christ, because their lives are not reflective of himself it's not even in the same ballpark so james is telling them in love to be careful to claim the name of christ when your conduct your speech and your attitude is in direct conflict with christ's teachings he's telling them to be careful because they might be mislabeling themselves remember the end of um chapter two so what would happen if we said that today? Uh, people would say that, you know, we're being judgmental or uh, who are we to judge? Um, only God can judge me. Um, and that's right. Only he can and he has and he's found you guilty, right? He's found us guilty of being a liar, a fornicator, an adulterer at heart, and a murderer at heart, um, that we're lovers of self, that we dishonor our parents, that we don't honor the Sabbath as it should be. And by making these claims that God won't really send a liar or a homosexual to hell, what you've done is you've made an idol and you worship a God of your own creation. So when people say, well, only God can judge me, well, he has. And he's judged you by the law and he's found you guilty. He's found you dead in your sin. And this is what James is trying to convey to us and to them. He's saying that, um, you know, you say that you believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. You do well. So what? Remember um, chapter 2, verse 19? You know, how has it affected your life? How has it changed you? Because if it hasn't, then clearly we do not belong to the same God. You know, then people will say, well, who are you to tell me that I'm lost? To which we should respond by saying, I'm not telling you that you're lost. Your life is telling me that you're lost. You know, I can name off several things that you participate in. These are not 
um, stumbles, but habits that are that, that are not only um, that not only are you not repenting of, but you don't even have any conviction over, because the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead cannot be dwelling within you while you remain who you are. Now, if we were to say this today. If we were to say this today, we are somehow spreading hate, when in reality, true hate would be me not telling someone this, right? Because I love you enough to tell you that, to tell you the truth, even if it means my degradation. So we reveal to people the true nature of their hearts, and when they see how truly detestable they are, it offends them, and it should. Well, then James goes on in chapter 4 probably with the most zeal and transparency and bluntness thus far. So let's see what he says to us here. Let's look over in um, verse 1. Again, I'm reading out of the New King James. Okay? It says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You know, here again, James cuts right to the chase and he doesn't say, hey, look, I've heard there's quarrels among you. What's going on? You know, he's, he doesn't say that. He knows that these things are going on. And he says, why? What's causing this? Because these conflicts are only the symptoms of the disease. So what I'm asking you and what I want us to ask ourselves is whatever quarrels you may have and whatever sin you may allow to still dwell within you, let's not just talk about the symptoms, but what is the root cause you know, why is this your behavior? Now, if we ask someone else this question, the list of things they commit is not what's important. We need to keep that in mind. We instead should make the case, you do see that something is wrong with you, right? So so what is it? What is the root cause of your problems? I don't, I don't need a list of all the sins you've committed because we tend, when we do that, we tend to really glorify what our past lives looked like what we should be saying is what what's the root cause here so that way we can rectify it and he goes on to tell us what he believes that root cause is because he started by saying from your desires right and now he says look over in verse two he says you lust and do not have you murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Okay, so he says, you lust or desire and do not have. You lust and do not have. That word desire goes back to the Greek word uh, hedonon. Hedonon, I think is how you pronounce it, which is actually the same word that we use for uh, hedonism. Okay, and James is saying, let me tell you why you act the way you act. You are at battle and conflict with yourself, inside yourself, and you are craving to pleasure yourself. And that's the definition of hedonism, right? The, the desire to please oneself. So the problem is that you're battling with the passions to please yourself versus with the desire to please God. Then he says, I'm going to tell you where this is headed okay I'm going to tell you where all of this is headed 
He says, you lust and do not have. Right? Now he says, you murder. That's a pretty, that's a pretty steep jump, right? Um, he goes from you lust to you murder. Now, some translations say you kill. And many people think, um, that, you know, that's quite the leap uh, going from desire and then you covet. And that covetousness can lead can lead you to killing. So, so is James saying that they were actually killing each other? I don't believe so. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. But let's look at the rest of the verse first. Because he says, you fight in war, yet you do not, uh, you, you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Okay. <clears throat> now, what he's showing them and what he's showing us is the series of illogical decisions in the life that's devoted to pleasure, right? That's that hedonism we were talking about. Now, Casting Crowns, they had a, uh, a great song that was called Slow Fade. Um, and what they talk about in it is that the reason why a lot of us don't wake up sooner and acknowledge the issues that we have in our life is because our enemies of this spiritual war that we're, that we're a part of are too clever for that. They're too clever to make it so obvious to us. So what these demonic spiritual forces do is they slowly influence us or try to get us to slowly appeal to our flesh or our carnality, right? Now, don't misunderstand me here. Because like we said a few weeks ago, if you sin, the devil did not make you do it. Okay, these demonic forces don't make you sin, right? You choose to. And we talked about this earlier in um, chapter two. Now, can can these outside forces, can uh, these evil spirits and things, can they influence you? Certainly, but they don't make you do anything, right? Um, so what I think is ironic here just for a second is that the people who fight against the idea of anything being predetermined because we have complete free will and we choose a lot of the time are the very ones who blame their sin on some uncontrollable force outside of themselves now, i'm not getting into that today I just want us to think about that for a minute that when it's then when it's convenient to us we're like well we have free will but then when it's you know when it tends to reflect negatively on us we're like well it wasn't me but you know again we're not getting into that today the bottom line is if we don't deal with this root cause because these symptoms are are there and this is what uh it will lead to right we we have to deal with the root cause um so basically he's saying you know today you'll say i covet But before you know it, you're going to say, well, now today I murdered. Now, I will tell you that the moment you turn from the authority of Christ, you'll start out as someone who misbehaves a little bit and look around 10 years later and think, you know, how did I end up here? How did things get so bad so fast? Well, the answer is they didn't, right? You'll you'll find that slow fade will bring you to, th- to do things that you never thought were imaginable for you to be a part of. 
you know, so when people say, well, how did this happen? How did I get here? James is saying here, he's telling us right here in the text that it's a slow fade. And if we don't head this off right now, if we don't stop this covetousness, this lusting that we're doing today, it will look like nothing compared to what, to where we're going, where you're going to end up. You know, then he says, you do not have because you do not ask. All right, this is a big one here. You do not have because you do not ask. What James is trying to tell us here, if you remember, Jesus had been teaching, and James was aware of this, that if you ask anything in the name of my Father, is what he said, if you ask anything that is in his will, then you will have it. So James is recalling that, and he's saying, you ask and you do not receive. Instead of turning to God, the giver of every good and perfect gift, what you're doing is you are attempting to satisfy the the gnawing wants through your own efforts. So, you know, for instance, this this is what I want, God, and instead of coming to you and, and running it through your perfect filter, that is your word, instead of saying, I want this or that, as long as it's in your will, you're just bypassing God entirely because you're saying, well, he may not give it to me the way I want it, so I'm going to go get it myself. You know, I'm going to do do things the way that I want to do it because I don't know that he'll give it to me the way that I want. These are the things I want, so I'm not going to verify that it is what God wants for me. That's covetousness. This is what he's talking about. You ask and you do not have. Right? So what James says is, now what you've done is instead of going to the God who will give you every good gift, you're going to try and satisfy this through your own effort. It's self-serving, right? And worldly, and instead of wrestling with God... That, that you should have been doing through your prayer and supplication, what you're now doing is you're turning around and you're wrangling bitterly, but not with God, but with each other. Praise God we don't do this today. Praise God our local churches don't fight over what they want. Praise God, the, our our members don't fight over these things, especially petty things like the music, like the temperature, like a cemetery. We do this all the time, all the time. We fight over petty things, right? We fight and we war with each other, with our brethren. We do not petition God for these things. We do not seek him through prayer and supplication. We do not wrestle with with our own desires to even see if they line up with what God wants from us. We don't do that. We say, this is what I want. This is how I'm going to do it. And here's the plan. Okay. And then I might pray about it, but but what does that prayer look like? Your Your, your prayer normally looks like, Dear Heavenly Father, give me this thing because I want it, because I, I think it will glorify you, and blah, blah, blah. The intentions may be good there, but you're so set in your opinions and your preferences that you're willing to war and fight with your brethren. 
we're still doing this and for the very same reason that they were. Because we aren't petitioning God. Because we aren't seeking Him first. We are not seeking peace. Right? Last week, the end of last week, we're not seeking peace. We try to work out our problems within the church like the world works out their problems with the same process. Make a pros and cons list or whatever. But here's the thing. We shouldn't be trying to manage an organization. This is not a company. This is our church. This is our our brethren. This is the the our brothers and sisters that we fellowship with. And yet almost all the decisions that we make are handled through an economic um, business-like process. Let's look at verse 3. It says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. He tells us right here why we don't receive. Prayer is always supposed to be according to God's wisdom. Right? We know that the Bible actually teaches us this is how you should pray. Right? The book of John, I think it's um, the verse 16. Or I'm sorry, chapter 16. The Lord's Prayer, maybe. Anyway. Um, but he actually says when you pray, this is how you should pray. Right? But it also tells us This is how you should not pray. And we need to pay attention when God says, this is how you do something. We definitely do. But we need to pay just as much attention to when he says, this is what you should not do. God has already spoken on this. True prayer is always answered according to God's wisdom. And true prayer must be met not by our not by our conditions, but by God's conditions. It's one thing to pray to God. It's another thing entirely to pray at God. Let me say that again. It's one thing to pray to God. It's another thing entirely to pray at God. And when we're praying properly, we should be praying that God will answer those prayers according to his wisdom, not ours. The things in my life that have been problematic is when I relied on my own wisdom instead of his. It's when I said, this is what I'm going to do instead of, what do you think I should do? What do you tell me to do? I I, I turn this over to you. Tell me what to do. Show me which way I should go. Now, as hokey as it may sound, Garth Brooks actually had it right by saying, thank God for unanswered prayers, right? Because we really don't have any idea what those things would have entailed. We really don't. Let me give you just a quick, uh, a, a quick I almost said brief, uh, a brief um, personal example here. I asked God about a job. There was a job that was coming up uh, with the water board that I wanted bad. This was, I don't know, close to 10 years ago. Um, 
and I kept praying about it. We had a group of men praying about it, and I didn't get it. Um, you know, we prayed about it, we prayed about it, prayed about it, and and we we thought this was God's will for me to go and to do this, and it just wasn't. Um, and I I was okay with that. Uh, I was disappointed. I'm not gonna lie. You know, uh, I was I was disappointed, but I w- I was content. Um, and then a couple weeks later, my friend Damien um, was offered a job working for the city in a completely different department. And and this is the job that he that he currently has. Um, um, he's got several. He's gotten several promotions since then, and and whatnot. But but this was also the job that he needed. You know, at the time, uh, he needed insurance and retirement, things like that. And and I mean, if you were to ask him now, this is I assume this is probably the job that he'll retire at. And he's very good at it, also, mind you. And why does that matter? Because the guy that got the job that I was trying to get, they removed from the other position and moved him into the position that I was going for. And that opened up the possibility for my friend Damien to receive this other job. I don't think he will care that I tell that because um, I've told it multiple times and and we both were like, so that's why I didn't get it, right? Because if I would have gotten that job, the guy would probably still be in that position. But instead they moved him. Anyway, it was, it was a great... It was a great um, piece of retrospect where I could see where an unanswered prayer actually worked out for the good, you know, because a lot of times we're like, well, why didn't that prayer get answered? Well, sometimes he, most of the time, actually, we don't get to see why, but every now and then he shows us. And when he shows us that we understand that it's good and it's perfect because here's the deal. We may not like that we didn't get what we wanted, right? But it comes down to this. Would you rather get what you want or that God may be glorified? Now, understand that God is going to win out every time. Okay, he is. But if you would prefer that you got what you you wanted, then that shows that your heart still needs to be changed in some areas. You know, we can rest... And Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now listen to this quote. If prayer is no more than a formula, then Christians are back to a form of magic. Now people believe this. People believe that if I pray a certain way in just the right way with just the right amount of faith and I say the right words, then God has to give me what I'm asking for. He has no choice. Now, when Jordan was healed from her sickness uh, a year, year and a half ago, I had numerous people tell me that it was because we both had enough faith to believe that he would heal her but that is a complete fallacy. It's not true, okay? God healed Jordan because he wanted to and because it glorified himself. We had nothing to do with it. We didn't. The amount of faith that we have in God 
would not have, have, have changed anything. Okay. Now you could argue that fact and say, well, it could have, but it didn't. You have no idea. All I know is that, is that he did praise God. We are thankful for that. Right. But he didn't do it because I did this. Right. Um, God will fulfill his will regardless of whether Josh is is um, in agreement with it. He chose to do it because it was in his will to do so. That's it. And honestly, that's enough. Right? Christians must realize that we cannot manipulate God and impose our will on him. Now, if we believe that, do you know what we're saying? We're saying, hey, God, if I do certain things, you have to do it. That's what we're saying. Now, there's a lot of this theology out there. And there's nothing biblical biblical about it. Now, the argument that I hear is that, um, you know, several people in the Old Testament spoke God's word back to him. And that is true. They did. But I challenge you to show me that they reminded God of what he said. It didn't happen. Right? God knew what he said. He knew what he was going to do. He already knew what had happened, what was going to happen, and how it was going to happen. So those men didn't trap God with his own word. It wasn't like they said, well, God, you said this. And he was thinking, oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? It, It does not work that way, but that's how we try to compartmentalize him. God expected them to be faithful to his word, and they showed themselves approved by following through. Remember us talking about Abraham. God does not make deals with us. He doesn't. But sadly, so many people believe that. Now, I have heard this very thing recently in our church that I made a deal with God. That is a misunderstanding of God's character. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's awfully harsh to say that about somebody who's teaching. But we just covered this. We just covered it a couple of weeks ago. Teachers will be held to a higher to a higher degree, a higher standard. So if I say something unbiblical, I not only expect, but encourage you to rebuke me. Okay? I encourage you to. It's, it's actually your responsibility. Me as a teacher, I am to teach God's word in truth, unopinionated. Okay? So when we say things like what God says, we have to make sure that it's actually what he says. When we pray for things, let's not ask amiss. Let's bring our petitions to him in faith, but ultimately always pray that his will be done and not our own. Meaning that no matter what God does, that we know that it is good, we know that it is right, we know that it is just, and that it is holy and perfect, right? Thy will be done. Now, we may not always like his method, but like I said a few weeks ago, we cannot argue with his results.
Let's look at verses uh, four and five. It says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Excuse me. Excuse me. So James starts this by saying that if we treat God this way, right? Or if this is our understanding of him, I should say. We have completely perverted the truth. You know, he's more harsh than that. He calls us adulterers and adulteresses. So not only that, but but because this is the God that we claim to worship, if, if our understanding of God is flawed and that is who we claim to worship, then we now worship a God of our own making, which again is idolatry. And if this is how we are acting, then... We are behaving as an adulterous bride to our bridegroom, which is Jesus Christ, right? Um, we are being spiritual adulterers, if that is the case. So in a nutshell, James is saying that friendship with the world is spiritual adultery. Now now think about Hosea for just a minute. Um, if you don't know the, the story of Hosea and Gomer, I recommend go back and read it. But when God told Hosea to marry her, a prostitute, what did she do? She fled, right? She, she, she went back to her old ways. She left him. And, and what did God tell him to do? He told Hosea to go and purchase her back. This is us. Do you remember me talking last week about how all of Scripture speaks around a truth? You know, instead of speaking um, linearly, it speaks around a truth. Well, that's what this is. Hosea was an example of Christ. was was a slight um, example of of Christ's attributes, right? Um, of a characteristic of Jesus Christ, and we are the adulterer. We are the one who who left. And had to be purchased again, even though we were we already belonged to him. Now, what I mean by that is we belonged to him because he created us. But because of our sin, it's, we separated ourselves from him. We, he didn't he didn't choose to repel us. We chose to refuse him by our sin, right? So because of that, he then had to purchase us back by his blood. So James is revealing it. Uh, revealing to us who we make ourselves out to be when we misrepresent who God is. Jesus Christ now expects his bride to be faithful to the groom. So we need to assess our lives in a big way and say, where in my life am I committing spiritual adultery against Jesus? Where in my life am I not 100% sold out to it? Anywhere that we've neglected him and chosen to chase after worldly things. Right? Now let's look over in verse 6. It says, 
but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I I use this passage pretty frequently when it comes to witnessing and evangelism. If you ever listen to Ray Comfort, he does all the time. It's a great verse. They all are. Um, But you can tell when you're witnessing to someone, when, um, you know, actively, openly witnessing to them, you can tell pretty quickly whether they are uh, receptive to your message, um, to the truth of the gospel or not. You can tell pretty quickly if, if, if their heart is um, fertile and the way that it, it's uh, the soil is ready for the seed to be planted, that it's not stony ground, right? And, and, and he actually gives us, God actually gives us two examples, two accounts in his revelation to us about himself um, through Jesus here about these two different kinds of people here. Um, look back at the rich young ruler, right? He came to Jesus with a haughty spirit. Um, it was proud and boastful to the point to where I think he truly believed when he asked Jesus, you know, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God or what must I do to inherit eternal life? I, th- I think he I think he truly believed um, th- that that he um, had fulfilled this for the most part, right? And when Jesus said, what are the commandments? And the young man starts rattling them off. And he says, I've kept all these things from a young age. Now, do I think sincerely that when he said that, he was like, well, I've kept them all from a young age, all proud like that? No, I think he genuinely thought that he had kept these things. So what? how does Jesus answer him? He says, well, you do well. You remember? He says, you do well. Now go, sell everything you own, and follow me. But it says he went away sad. This was a test for Jesus to see what the young man would do. This revealed to the young man who he truly was and that he was full of pride. And because of this, God resisted him, right? He resists the proud and and he went away sad. It tells us that very, very explicitly. Now, inversely, he gives grace to the humble. Look at the woman with the ailment that touched Jesus's garment and was healed. Right, he was he was I would say swarmed, but I think mobbed is probably a more accurate term. Um it's in this immense mob and um the woman who who had the the ailment, the the blood flow issue for years believed that if I could just touch the hem of his garment I would be healed and so she does. And Jesus actually feels his power leave him, right? It's amazing. And um, they, he asked for the woman for who touched her. She comes up to him. And, um, and, and then he asked the woman, remember he says, because she wasn't, she wasn't a Jew. He asked the woman, he said, should the bread for the children be thrown to the dogs? Now that's pretty harsh, right? Calling this woman a dog uh, through metaphor. Um, and now this was a metaphor where now he wasn't like you're a dog, but he was saying here and he was explaining 
that he did not come for her. He came for the Jews, which we know is true. He came as the Messiah, right? As the Savior, salvation for the Jewish people, not the Gentiles. Um, but the woman answered him. You remember how she answered him? She said, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she said this showing that she understood that she was unworthy. She knew she was unworthy. She knew that he didn't come specifically for for her, you know, in that sense. We can talk about that some other time. But but what she really understood was the nature and the authority of Christ. So she came to him and submitted herself through humility. She came and said, even the dogs get the crumbs from their master's table. She was recognizing him as master, as Lord. So how did Christ respond to her? He said, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And then it says, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Right? Or it says she, I'm sorry, it says, and she was healed. She was healed. He healed her. Your faith has made you well. So uh, you can go back through the different books, uh, through the different gospels there. He, get, he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you remember me saying um, several weeks ago that I find it difficult to trust someone who is proud and boastful? I explained why, but I want to explain briefly again. It's because they show that they they either don't really understand who Christ is or they don't really understand who they are. That That's really what it comes down to. Someone who's a Christian that is proud, that is boastful, that is puffed up. Something's wrong. And it's one of those two things. It's either they don't understand who Christ is or they don't understand who they are. Because if they did, they wouldn't behave that way. They wouldn't They wouldn't be puffed up because they would have no right to be. Now, people ask me, because well, I say that's dangerous. And they say, well, why is that dangerous? Well, because if someone doesn't really understand who Christ is, or if someone doesn't really understand who they are in relation to God Almighty, the Lord of glory, then they don't really understand the gospel message. That's why it's dangerous. Because if they don't understand the true gospel message and they claim to be saved, then what gospel do they say that they believe? Because it very well may be a false one. You see what I'm saying? I think a lot of the issues, all, uh, I will I will throw that word around here. I believe all of the issues within um, within the church, especially with the new American gospel that's being spread. It's poison has been spread because they don't really understand the gospel. 
not the true one. Because for those of us who believe, for those of us who understand, it's everything. I'll tell you one more little anecdote. I have a, I'll just say a friend of mine, okay? Uh, family member. Um, we, we were out fishing or something one day and I, I asked him, uh, he, he was kind of grinning and I said, what? And he said, just kind of embarrasses, embarrasses me every time my dad prays, he starts crying. And, and I looked at him and I said, that there's absolute, absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about. I said, let me explain to you for just a second why he does. Okay, because fortunate, fortunately, you didn't have to go through the things that he had to go through. You've always believed. You've always known that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You've always acknowledged his authority and, and his sovereignty. But your dad and I haven't. And it's because of that. It's because of the depths that he had to pull us out of that makes grace so glorious. And it's because of that glory we can't not. We can't not be so appreciative that it, that it brings us to tears of joy and, and, and love and, and true thankfulness. You know, we talked last week about about meekness. That's exactly what James is talking about here. He's reinforcing that. That God will give grace to the humble, to the meek. And what, what did Jesus Christ say? That they will inherit the earth. Praise God. Praise God, he's revealed himself and given us a revelation of himself through his word. All right, well, that concludes uh, the first six verses. Um, next week, I'm, I'm going to try to finish up chapter four. If we don't, that's okay, but I'm going to try to finish up chapter four. Um, again, if you have suggestions on which book that you would like to go through next, leave a comment down below. Um, Subscribe to the channel if you're new. And um, I'll see you guys next week. Have a great week.